0: turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're continuing of course our study of the Gospel of Luke and of course Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Savior. He is the sacrifice and the substitute for the sins of mankind. We're seeing the beginning of the ministries for both John the Baptist and Jesus. The crowds have come out to John. They have come out in the wilderness to hear his message. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready for the Lord. And the key that he's been saying is there's the Savior and the Messiah is here. Now people have come out and they're asking this question They're they're really saying this. Is is this man the Christ? Is, is John the Messiah? Well, what's John's answer? Well, as we continue this morning, we're going to see that John, what John says about Jesus. And we're going to see the baptism of Jesus. That's kind of a famous, famous passage. But one of the questions we're going to raise is, why was Jesus baptized? I mean, why does Jesus need to be baptized? What is this? And then we'll finish this whole thing by just seeing the lineage of Jesus Christ listed in verses 23-38 through as we go through that. Two key areas this morning as we look at our study. The first one is we're going to see John the Baptist or John the Forerunner. What does he say about Jesus? And then the second is we'll look at Jesus, his baptism and his background. So hopefully as we look at this this morning we'll get a great picture of our Savior. Now, there's a question to think about. Are we in the last times? The last days. Is it near the return of Jesus Christ? People are always saying things like, you know, we're in the last days and, and you know there's signs and everything else. Well I want you to understand this that any time after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're in the last days. In fact, the book of Hebrews says in these last days, after Christ, in these last days. Christ could come in the clouds at any moment. There is no sign or nothing to be fulfilled. Jesus Christ could come get us, take us off the face of the earth at any moment. But let's think a minute about the comings of Christ. And when we're talking about the comings of Christ, we're talking about the return of Christ or the coming of Christ to the earth. That's different than coming in the clouds. We're talking about coming to the earth. There are two times, there are two comings of Jesus Christ, we call them the two advents of Christ. This is when He comes to the earth. The first time He came to the earth was when He came to die and to rise again. He was born in Bethlehem. That's what we call the Christmas story. He came to this earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. He came to bring salvation to mankind. That's called the first Coming of Jesus Christ. There is a second time that he's going to come. He's going to come as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's coming to reign and to rule on the earth. He's coming to judge the earth. He will come to Jerusalem and rule the world. That's the second coming. So, the first time Jesus Christ came, he came to die on the cross to pay for sin. That's the first coming. Second time he comes to the earth, he comes as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I want you to understand something. In between the first coming, which has already happened, and the second coming, which has not happened, there will be another coming, which is a coming in the clouds. He doesn't come to the earth. It's called the rapture. And when he comes in the clouds, he'll say there'll be a shout of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him. That's called the rapture. That's not the first. Or the second coming of Christ to the earth. Now the reason we're talking about this is because when John talks about Jesus in our passage this morning. He talks about, really refers to the two comings of Christ. He says something like this. He says when Jesus comes he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with Fire And you may not realize it, but the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit deals with His first coming. And the baptism of fire deals with His second coming. And we'll see how that all ties together. Because uh, uh, the first coming deals with the whole idea of salvation by faith in Christ. Second coming has to do with the judgment. And we'll see how that ties together. Well, let's begin. Let's remember where we are. We're at the start of the ministry of John the Baptist. Actually, both John and Jesus. John is the forerunner of the Messiah. And Jesus is the Messiah. The last time we saw the beginning where John is the voice of one in the wilderness. He's crying out. People are coming out all over the place. You remember, he looked weird. He had never cut his hair because he was a Nazarite. That means from the time he was born until he's, he's 30 years old, he's never cut his hair. It's like we said last week, poof. I mean, it's just there, right? I mean, and he's got this this cloak on, and, and he looks like a prophet. In fact, some people think he's Elijah, Some people even think maybe he's Isaiah or something. But some say maybe he's Elijah because Elijah was taken up in that chariot. Maybe this is him. He's come back or something. Well, he's out there giving this message. And people are just flocking. And the message is that the Messiah is on the earth. The king is on the earth. The Savior is here. And all of those kind of things. In fact, he said this. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3, which is a quote from Isaiah. But notice it says, And all flesh will see the salvation of God. Part of his message is to say that people are going to see the Savior. Now, realize something that's important. That salvation is in a person. Salvation is not in ritual. It's not in a church. It's not religion. It's not works. It's not our actions. Salvation is in a person. We are saved not because what we do, not because we go to church or get baptized or do any of that. We are saved because we put our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. We trust in Jesus as our Savior. He came to the earth. He died on the cross. He paid for sins. He rose again. And whoever will believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Salvation is in a person, and that person is is Jesus Christ well last time we ended with all these people coming out to see John and and they were saying things like this do you think do you think this, this John guy do you think he is the Messiah that was some of the questions so this morning we're going to see several things let me break down the passage for you we're going to look at verses 15 through 38 in verses 15 through 18 John tells about Jesus he's going to talk about him and then 19 and 20 John gets put into prison and then we we'll look at the baptism of Jesus he comes out there now this happens at a different time because Jesus is baptized by John and then John's put in prison but this passage talks about it this way and then last but not least we see the background of Jesus we're going to see the lineage of Christ we won't look at all of the names we're just going to touch on a few names as we go through that. Well let's, let's, let's begin. John is out in the wilderness proclaiming the message. And even the religious leaders have come. If you remember last week we talked about it. That John was saying this. That you need to be baptized to identify with the Savior. Even some of the religious leaders come out, and John's got onto to them because he knows they don't believe about the Messiah. They're just coming out there. But some religious leaders from Jerusalem sent some people out there to ask John some questions. And they got there, and they said to John, they said, are you the Christ? Now, you can find this in the Gospel of John. This is, of course, we're studying the Gospel of Luke, and he doesn't record this. But they came out to him and said, are you the Messiah, the Christ? And John went, no, I'm not. And he said, are you Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you one of the prophets? And he meant one of the old prophets. And he went, no, I'm not. And then they said, well, would you tell us who you are? Because we have to go back and tell somebody who you are. And so he says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm the forerunner of the Messiah. And so, as we look this morning in verse 15, that's where we'll start. This is the issue. They're coming out, and some of the people are wondering, "Is John the Messiah?" And look what he says. Look at verse 15. Now, while the people, now while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. Now, the people were in the state of expectation. They felt like something was about to happen. If you remember last week, I told you that the very last word from God in the Old Testament was Malachi. And 400 years have passed until John begins to speak. So the people have not heard from a prophet of God in 400 years. And all of a sudden, there's this man out in the wilderness looking funny and and proclaiming a message. And they're all thinking... This this has got to be from God. This must be God speaking. This must be a prophet of God. And they were right. And it said they were in this expectation. It said while all the people were in a state of expectation, they're thinking something's about to happen. And they're right. See, John is about to say, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's about time for the ministry of the Savior. It says, the people were all in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. And and they actually said, "Are are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. They were looking for the Messiah. And they knew this. From Second Samuel chapter seven, verses twelve through seventeen, this Messiah would be a descendant of David, and he would he would be like a king. And they pictured that this Messiah is going to come, and not only is he going to be the Savior, but he's going to defeat the Romans. But see, they hate the Romans and the Romans are controlled and everything, and when their Savior comes, he'll be the king and he'll rule and he'll come in there and he'll wipe out the Romans. So they're saying, Do you think this guy could be the one? And of course he says, No, I'm not. They knew this that that the Messiah, the, the Hebrew word Messiah, Mashiach, means the anointed one of God. And in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed. And so they're looking at this and saying, could he be the right one? He, he is a prophet, and he is a priest. Could he be the king? Well they asked John basically and in verse 16 says John answered and said to them all. Now he's going to give two reasons why he's not the Messiah. I want you to see this. In fact they ask him are you the Christ and his response he's not the Messiah he's actually inferior to the Messiah for two reasons. Why? Number one he has a different baptism. His baptism John's baptism is with water. He's just baptizing people in a ritual water but the Messiah is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John says Listen I got a different baptism I'm just doing water He's going to do the Holy Spirit and fire And then there's a second thing The reason he says he's in fear He says I'm not even worthy To take off his sandals he says, I'm nothing compared to him. So I'm not the Messiah. Number one, I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes. Number two, he's got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm just doing, I'm just baptizing him with water. So that's the things that he says. Notice verse 16. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now John says, I'm baptizing you with a ritual. Now, you know, baptism is for saved people. Baptism, when you talk about somebody getting water baptized, somebody say, have you been baptized? It's a ritual. You have already trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. Then you get baptized. Baptism has nothing to do with salvation. So these people coming out to John to get baptized, they were already supposed to have believed in the Messiah. He says to them, listen, I'm... I'm just baptizing you with water. I want you to understand that it was a little bit unique. Because if you were a Gentile in that day and you believed in the God of Israel, you got baptized. But if you were Jewish, you never got baptized. You were already Jewish. Why would you need to get baptized? So Jewish people didn't get baptized. However, John is baptizing both Jews and Gentiles. That's why it's weird. And that's why the people are coming out and going, who are you? I want you to realize that whenever someone of significance comes through the Scripture, there's usually something connected with them, some sign. Abraham, that was the sign of circumcision. Moses, that was the sign of the Sabbath. With John the Baptist, it's the sign of water baptism. And with Jesus, it's the sign of the Holy Spirit and fire. So that's how it ties together. John says, I'm just baptizing you with water. But there's one coming. Notice how he puts it. One is coming who is mightier than I. That really leaves. He's more powerful than I am. I'm not even fit to untie the thong of his sandals. Now, I want you to understand that the, most, the, the worst thing, the, the lowest demeaning task that any slave could do would be to take off the sandals of their master. He says, I'm not even worthy to take off his sandals. He is so much greater than me. You remember in a couple of places where where Jesus had started his ministry later and people were flocking to Jesus and some people came to John and they said, John, everybody's going over to Jesus. You need to do something about that. You need to get your people back. And John said, He must increase. I must decrease. See, he saw it right. See, John's job was to say, there he is. And so when they're asking him, who are you? He says, listen, I'm baptizing you with water. I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes. And then he says the big thing. He says, if he, end of verse 16, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's future from when this happens. John's baptizing right now with water. Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we talked about that a while ago. This ties together the two comings of the Messiah. I want you to see this. The first coming is when he came to die and rise again. This is really the baptism with the Holy Spirit because when a person believes in Jesus Christ, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, placed in the body of Christ. That's salvation to all who believe. Every one of us in this room, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, you've actually been baptized by the Holy Spirit and placed in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. So this first coming where Jesus Jesus came, was to die on the cross, pay for sin, and this baptism of the Holy Spirit puts us in the body of Christ. There's a second coming in which he'll come as King of kings, Lord of lords, the judge. He will rule the world. He will come with a baptism of fire and judgment. Malachi chapter 3 talks about that. And that's why John says he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's the two comings of Christ to the earth. The first coming he came and the identification is with the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ Christ. We're placed in the body of Christ. But when he comes the second time... He comes to rule, and that all those who have rejected him, there will be the baptism of fire. There is a separation coming, a separation of believers from unbelievers. I want you to understand that. Notice what he says. Look at verse 17. His wintering fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, a wintering fork, If you were in that day and time, they would take their grain and all the hulls and they would do something heavy to roll over it and it would crush it all and it would be the grain and it would be the chaff. They would take this big fork called a winning fork and they would scoop it up and they would throw it up in the air and the chaff was light and it would blow and the grain would fall back down. Eventually you got the grain and you got the chaff over here. You'd take your grain and you'd put it on in the barn and then you'd burn up the chaff. He's using that as a picture. He says when the Messiah comes, he's going to make a separation of the wheat from the chaff, the believers from the unbelievers, the believers are going to be gathered up to go with him the unbelievers an unquenchable fire and so that's what he's trying to say. John is saying, look, the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is being placed in the body of Christ by faith. You don't want the baptism of fire. That's at the separation of the believers from the unbelievers. So he says, his winning fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn as believers, and he will burn up the chaff, the unbelievers, with unquenchable fire all who believe in Jesus Christ have eternal life at salvation all who reject Jesus Christ are separated from God first time he comes he came first time he came he came to die and pay for sin to rise again and to give salvation to all who believe he says this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we're in Christ with the wheat the second time he comes as the judge and as the king there'll be a separation of those who do not believe this is the baptism of fire And they are the chaff that is burned. So here's the question for all of us to think of. Are you identified with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, meaning that you have believed Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've been placed in Christ, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you have eternal life? If not, one day, if you do not trust Christ as Savior, one day you'll be baptized with the fire. Which is the separation that you'll be separated from God forever. What I hope and pray is that everyone in this room—now we've talked about this a lot—in a lot of times in the Gospel of John, uh, Gospel of Luke, we've talked about this already. But I hope and pray that everyone in this room has already believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. If you have, you've been connected with Jesus when He came when He came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. If you have never trusted in Christ, and if you, for some reason, you do not believe in Jesus as your Savior, remember salvation's in a person if you do not one day you'll be identified with the fire and be connect, be separated from god Very powerful. Notice what he goes on to do. Verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. With many other exhortations, and that word means charges. See, John just didn't give just the good news message. He talked about a lot of things. We've already seen how he talked to these people about how they should live and the things that they should do. But notice what he says. With many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. The word gospel comes from a Greek word, eangelion, which means to take good news. The word gospel means the good news message. Now there's a lot of places in the Bible Which you can say Well here's a good news message Here's a good news message But when he talks about The good news message of salvation You can find it very clearly In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 8 Particularly verses 3 and 4 Paul says I make known to you the gospel For I delivered to you a first importance Which I also received That Christ died for our sins According to scripture That's part 1 of the gospel It says he was buried And rose again on the third day According to the scripture That's part 2 of the gospel The two parts of the gospel are the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came to the earth. He died on the cross. He paid for sin and rose again. That's the message. The response to the gospel is to believe. Is to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. It's that simple. He died and rose again. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. God so loved the world... That's us. That he gave his only begotten son, gave him to do what? To come to the earth, die on the cross, pay for sin, rise again. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, would not be the chaff, but have everlasting life. Be taken into the barn. That's his example there. So with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. Do you know what? We get to do it. When we leave, just like John was there then telling people about the Messiah and eternal life, we get to do the same thing. Because we've all gathered together to worship our Savior and to study the Bible, but we scatter out in this community. We go on that campus, we go in our neighborhoods, we go all these places. We get to tell people the good news message. We tell them about Jesus. And you know, it's the best time of the year to do it because it's Christmas time coming up very soon and people are always thinking about the baby being born and, you know, in Bethlehem and everything. Well, tell them who that baby is. Salvation is in a person. Jesus Christ well John did more than that I want you to understand John did more than just give the gospel because he was as a prophet of God he saw things that were right and wrong and oftentimes he denounced evil and said what was right well notice the next verse but when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him by John because of Herodias his brother's wife and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done Herod also added this to them all he locked John up in prison now let me tell you what what's going on. you remember we talked about there was this man named Herod the Great and he was uh, ruling over Israel he was a very powerful man he was the man that was alive when Jesus was born he is the man who killed all the boy babies two years old and under like, you remember that man after he killed those boy babies not too long after that he died and he had several sons one was named Herod Antipas and then there was another son named Philip In this passage, we're going to see this guy named Herod the Tetrarch, that's Antipas. And we're going to see it mentions his brother's wife, that's Philip. Herod Antipas married this woman who was the daughter of the king of Nebatea. He married her. Philip, his brother, married a woman by the name of Herodias. Herod said, you know, I think I like Herodias. So he divorced his wife who was the daughter of the king of Nebatea. And he got Herodias to divorce her husband Philip, which was his brother, and then they got married. Now John, being John, said, that's wrong. You're not supposed to do that. And he denounced it publicly. He said, Herod has done wrong. See, sometimes Herod wanted people to think, he wanted the Jews to think he was part Jewish. Because he wanted to get in good with the Jewish people Because he ruled over them He wanted to be in good with them So he sometimes said You know I'm part Jewish And so John said If you're part Jewish You just violated the law You're not supposed to divorce your wife And marry your brother's wife Well, of course, what happened to John when he did that publicly? When Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done. Now, by the way, John didn't stop there. He said, and Herod, you've also done this and this and this and this. And you can see Herod going, I think that's enough. And so he put him into prison. Notice, Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. And the word for prison means a dungeon. Now, let me tell you two quick things, and we'll go real fast. When John was in prison, we think he was in prison maybe for a year and a half. And while he was in there, he began to doubt. As you know, sometimes it happens in our lives. And he thought that if Jesus was really the Messiah, then Jesus would start whipping the Romans and maybe take over because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he didn't see it happening. So he got to doubt, and so he sent some people while he was in prison. He sent some people to Jesus and said... Are you the one Or should we look for another And you remember What Jesus told him He said You go back and tell John That the lame walk The blind see The deaf can hear The dead are raised And the good news message Is preached To the poor So what he said Was go back and tell John What you see And when he came back And told John That John went Oh he's the right one I'm okay I've got to tell you One other story This same man named Herod, named Herod And his wife Herodias There was He had a daughter By the name of Salome and one day at a big party, he had a big banquet, and Salome came in and danced, and she danced so good. He went, that's some dancing. That's dancing. I tell you what, I'm going to give you anything you want, half the kingdom. I'll give you up to half the kingdom. She went over to her mother, and she said, what should I ask for? Now, Herodias, she doesn't like John the Baptist because she divorced her husband to marry this guy, and John said, you shouldn't do that. So she said, why don't you tell him you'd like John the Baptist head on a platter? Okay, And so she goes back over and says, that's what I want. And he went, hmm, that's not exactly what I was thinking of. So, But he did it anyway. He sent and had John's head cut off and brought back on a platter. That's the kind of man he was. So when John got on him, Herod put him in prison. Now, let's look at... By the way, I want you to know this. When you stand for Jesus Christ... Because what John did, John stood for what was right in a fallen world and he was put to death for it. When you stand for Jesus Christ in this culture, in this world. You're going to realize that people are going to be against you. If you stand and say, look, I believe Jesus is the way truth and life. There's no other way to heaven. I believe Jesus is the Savior. I believe there are things right and wrong. You're living in a world that says there aren't any rights and wrongs. Everybody decides for themselves what's right and wrong. Don't come telling me what's right and wrong. And so when you stand for what's right and wrong, there'll be people against you. When you stand for Jesus Christ, there will be people against you. You will not be popular. I want you to know there's a group on campus called the Interfaith Council. Sometimes I have gone to that in the past. I don't go very much anymore. If I were to go into that meeting of the ministers on on the campus and stand up and say, I'd like to make a statement. I'd like to say that I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. There is no other. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. And that's the way you have eternal life. There are many in there that would demand that I would be removed from the group and never be a part of it again. It's been several years ago, but I can remember that in that meeting, I was sitting in that meeting, and a woman who was a pastor in town stood up and said, I would like to ask a favor if any of you would refrain from using the name Jesus because it offends me. That's on our campus. That's in this world. You stand for Jesus Christ, and you make it known that you stand for Christ, and you believe that He is the Savior, and that there are things right and wrong. You will be unpopular. Stand for Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, let's see what happens now. We'll go quickly through this last part. Uh, We're going to see a famous passage, the baptism of Jesus. It says this, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized, and while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Well, we're seeing that all these people had been coming out to John to get baptized, and he was baptizing them, identifying them with the Messiah. Here comes Jesus. And if you read the Gospel of John, When Jesus came out to John John looked at him and said You want me to baptize you? No, 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 no No, no, you baptize me And Jesus said no This is to fulfill all righteousness So we're going to raise a question in a minute Why would Jesus be baptized? There's a second thing we find from the Gospel of John. While John was doing all this, God told John that one day you'll baptize the Messiah, and when you do, the way you'll know it's the Messiah is the Holy Spirit will come down like a dove, and it will land on him, and it will stay there. John says, John John the Baptist says in the Gospel of John that when he baptized Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit come down and remain on Jesus, and he said right then, he is the Messiah. For sure. He's the one. Look what happened. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. Was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven were open. Let me give you a couple of questions to think about. First one is this. What is baptism? I mean, what is it? Well, it literally means identification. That's what it means. To to be dipped or identified, it means to identify with something. Any one of us who are baptized, if somebody said, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, I want to be baptized. Why are you baptized? Because you're showing that you're identifying with Christ. That's what baptism means. Uh, There are some types of baptism. There's what they call ritual baptism and real baptism. Ritual baptisms usually have something to do with water. Like uh, how the Jewish people uh, baptize people to identify with the the God of Israel, or how John baptized people in water to identify with the Messiah, or even Jesus being baptized, we'll talk about that in just a minute, or all of us, you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you get baptized. It's a ritual to show your identification with Christ. There are some real baptisms, and one of the real baptisms is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, when you believe in Jesus, you're placed in the body of Christ. There's the baptism of fire, which is coming. It had not happened yet, but it will happen when Jesus Christ comes the second time. Here's the third question. Why was Jesus baptized? Several reasons. Number one it was identification with fallen man. He came to identify with us because he's going to die in our place. There's the second thing and that it shows death and resurrection because best we can understand they immersed and so when they immersed and they go down and come up it's a picture of death and resurrection. He's going to die and rise again. That's why when we get baptized we do immersion. We take you, bring you down in the water, bring you back up. It's a picture of death and resurrection and last but not least it was the anointing for ministry the holy spirit comes this was the beginning of his ministry because right at the start here comes the holy spirit now notice something verse 21 now when all the people were baptized jesus also baptized and while he was praying did you know that the gospels all the gospels talk about the baptism of jesus this is the only one that says he was praying while he was baptized. When they baptized while he was praying. Notice it says the heaven was opened. The Greek word for open there means torn open. It's as if the heavens ripped open. And coming out of the heaven it says the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily form like a dove. Here comes the Holy Spirit looking like a dove. It was a dove. And a voice came out of heaven and said you are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. What I want you to see from this is what we call the Trinity. The Trinity is that there's one God in three persons. Now, you can believe this to be true, but you cannot comprehend this. How can one how can one be three at the same time? It's not it's not one God. It's not three different gods. It's one God and three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In this passage, you see the Son in the water. You see the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, coming down as a dove, and you see God the Father saying, "This is my Son." So I just want you to understand there is one God in three persons. How it fits together, we cannot comprehend it. We can believe it to be true. There is one God, and there's God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three, but there's only one God in three persons, and you see it right here. Now, let me end this for you. We'll go fairly quickly because starting with verse 23 to the end, we get basically the beginning of his ministry and some background. But it says, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age. There's a reason for that. The priest began their ministry at age 30. Jesus is our great high priest. Priest, He's beginning his ministry for us. Notice there's something that you just need to look at. It says, when he was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. says it that way on purpose because Jesus wasn't the son of Joseph. Joseph wasn't his father. He was born of the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit, not Joseph. But he puts it this way because he says, this is... How the lineage looked, people looked at his father and said, "Oh, Joseph is his father," and he begins to trace the lineage. I want to tell you two things, and we'll stop. Number one. this lineage is different. there's two places in the in the New Testament which you have the background of Jesus: one is Matthew chapter one, the other is Luke chapter three. In Matthew chapter one, he traces the lineage of Jesus from Abraham and he traces it through david 's son Solomon. In Luke, chapter 3, he traces it all the way back to Adam, and he traces it through David's son, Nathan. The reason we believe is this. Joseph's lineage is given to us in Matthew. Mary's lineage is given to us in Luke. That's why they're a little different. If you've ever taken the two lineages and tried to figure them out, you go, hey, this is a little bit different. That's because one's going through Mary, one's going through uh, Joseph. That's how it fits. I want you to see several names. In verse 23, it says, he began his ministry. Jesus was about 30 years of age, being supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. If you look down to verse 31, at the very end, he says he's the son of David. If you're going to be the king of Israel and the Messiah, you have to be a descendant of David. Notice verse 34, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. If you're going to be the king of the Jews, you're going to have to come through Abraham, and he did. And if you go to the very end of the passage, verse 38, it says, the son of Enish, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. It traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. Then it says the Son of God. There's a reason for that. Matthew presents Jesus as the King. It traces him back to Abraham. Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man and it traces him all the way back to the first man, Adam, and then God. So it's very powerful. Sometimes, look at that, you can do that study and be able to put it together. This morning we've seen the beginning of John's ministry, the background of Jesus, the descriptions of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus. May We see our Savior. Let me give you some applications and we'll close. First one is this. Understand the two comings of Christ to the earth. See if you can put this together. Because sometimes people get confused about this. A the first coming was for this death and resurrection it was to pay for sin it was really the baptism of the Holy Spirit because by faith in Christ we identify with Christ for salvation and we're placed in the body of Christ that's his first coming there's a second coming of Christ in which he comes to judge as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords it's called as John calls it the baptism of fire because of rejection there's the separation from God so the first coming of Jesus he came to die for us and give us eternal life, baptism of the Holy Spirit second time he comes to the earth he comes as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords and to judge baptism of fire be able to understand that and so the key for you is which baptism are you connected with the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of fire and I hope every one of you in this room have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life so you're saved and you're saved forever and you're connected with His first coming so to speak proclaim the news you have the right the privilege and the responsibility to go into this community and tell people about Jesus There are a lot of people out there that do not know. They think going to church saves them. They think baptism saves them. They think some kind of religious system saves them. They do not understand that salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. Second, stand for truth in a fallen world. Listen, live by the Bible. It's a challenge to you to do this. You're not going to be popular. People are going to think you're nuts. People are going to think you're not very smart. They're going to think you're uneducated because you stand for the truth of the Bible stand for the truth of the Word of God. The third thing is just understand baptism. And let me, we'll go through it quickly. Understand it means identification. B, understand the baptism of Christ. It was to identify with us. Understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit when we're placed in the body of Christ. And then last but not least, understand ba- believers' baptism. You get baptized because you have already trusted in Jesus Christ. Last but not least, and I put this kind of in a unique way, have an understanding of the Trinity. You can't totally understand the Trinity, one God and three persons. But understand how it Fits. Go to the passage, look at it, and understand there is one God who is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods one God it's a little bit hard and it's beyond our comprehension but we can believe it may we understand the ministry of Jesus Christ and, and see what he did connected with both of his comings as we stand for Christ in a fallen world let's pray Heavenly Father what a great passage thank you for these truths if we look at John and we look at Jesus and Lord I pray that we'll understand the two comings of Christ that he came the first time to die and that's to, to give eternal life and that's really baptism of the Holy Spirit and then we understand the second time he's coming as the judge and the king and, and, and it'll be a separation there and that's the baptism of fire help us to understand it and lord would you use us to tell people about jesus and may we stand for what's right for truth in a fallen world we know it won't be popular but may we do it help us lord to understand the whole idea of baptism and understand the the trinity and to be able to teach others as well thank you for these truths we thank you for our savior jesus for it's in his name we pray amen